We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome to a Tuesday night edition of Field of 68's After Dark. I'm joined by the Miller Brothers, Sean and Archie, and we got a ton to talk about tonight. Maybe the best slate of the season overall. Conference play starting. Kentucky finally, uh, well, they, they almost got a resume win. They didn't quite get one in Baton Rouge. Uh, why is Sean jealous of Baylor's defense? Baylor, the Bears got their 20th straight win today. Uh, and Sean and Arch will also pick the best X's and O's guy coach in the game right now. Uh, we'll also welcome to the show the number one point guard in America, and that'll come as a surprise visit uh, with his former coach. But let's start with Kentucky at LSU, guys. Kentucky won its last four games by uh, at least 27 points. They were blowing teams out. Not great teams, but decent teams, Western Kentucky. Oscar Shibway leading the country in rebounding. Severe Wheeler, uh, third in the country in assists. Everything appeared to be clicking for John Calipari and the Wildcats, but then it all changed with about right after the first media timeout. Severe Wheeler ran into a screen set by uh, LSU freshman Efton Reed, uh, and he didn't return to the game. Oscar Shibway picked up two fouls. Then in the second half, Ty Ty Washington cramped up. And after a crazy ending, instead of Kentucky getting a win, a big road win, maybe it's best of the season, they leave with another loss. And they don't really have a big resume win, Sean. You know, they're still kind of looking for it. Their best win is against the Carolina team that, frankly, hasn't done a whole hell of a lot. Second best win against an Ohio team that's really a good mid-major. How worried are you about this Kentucky team? I'm not really worried about them, Jeff. Um, I think they're, they've repaired what happened a year ago. And I think that they consciously played a non-conference schedule that might have been overall a little softer than their standards. Um, and in some cases, maybe a lot softer than a few of their standards from years gone by. But they've built you confidence. You said it, Sean. Sean, you said before, what is a good for a power five, power six school? What's a good non-conference strength of schedule number and what is Kentucky's been? If you're in the hundreds, Jeff, you've given yourself plenty of good opportunities. And Arch and I have talked a lot about this just over the years, but especially this year when we're together and kind of in, in this new way for us, um, 
it's as much avoiding the terrible buy game teams. You know, at the end of the year, when you've beaten a team that checks in uh, in the net at 300, 320, 330, it's as if the game wasn't played. And in some ways, it actually hurts you. If you replace that game or those games or a slew of them with teams that are in the hundreds, which, by the way, are dangerous games, right? They're the games that if you're not ready, you can get beat. But you win by eight at home against that type of team. Those teams, in a very sneaky way, not only help your team improve, but I think gives you much more bang when it comes to seeding, getting a bid to the tournament, and as you enter March Madness. You know, Kentucky chose to play really a non-conference schedule above 300, but they've improved. I think the SEC will give them plenty of good opportunities. But when you see them go on the road early here, Jeff, SEC conference play right after the holiday break to be in a battle. And then when Wheeler goes down and Ty Ty cramps up, they lost to a good team on the road. There's no shame in that. They'll bounce back from that. I'm not really worried about it, but to look and compare Kentucky today to maybe who they were five years ago or six years ago, when you think of them, those are some of the players and teams you think of the structure of their non-conference schedule and who they are. It's, it's still not where it was. I do think though, you catch them in February, they'll be as tough of a team to beat as anybody. It's just, it's going to take longer based on the process that they're in. Arch, they, they, they kind of built their team differently this year. I got there in the preseason and I was like, you know what? I really like this team because they're not going to come out of the gate slow, hopefully because they're older and they've got a bunch of transfers and they've got shooters. We saw that in the second half with, with Kellen Grady. To me, this game, I, I think... I hate to say it, but it's true. I almost give Kentucky more credit because they didn't have their starting point guard for basically the whole game. They didn't have Ty Ty Washington, who's their most talented player uh, for the second half. He was cramped up when he came back in. He wasn't himself. Oscar Sheboy was on the bench for the better part uh, of the last 10 minutes of the first half with foul trouble. Those are your three most important players. And, and they still found a way to fight. And there was a scramble at the end. If Sheboy had saved that ball, and a Kentucky player had got it going out of bounds, they might have come away with that win. How, how much, like, uh, you know, a, a loss like this, the way they lost it, Arch, if you're John Calipari, do you still feel okay about yourself because you almost got a win in Baton Rouge or no? Well, I, I think Kentucky's mad as hell flying home. You know, they go 10 for 20 from the foul line. They turn the ball over 15 times, and LSU stole it 11. They're on the road up nine with 13 minutes to go in the second half. Arguably their most, their MVP is Wheeler. You can say that Oscar's rebounding like a fool when he is, but you know, severe, severe Wheeler is amongst the leaders in the country in assists. And that's a big deal with Kentucky with the people that they have around them. He's doing a great job. They lose him. He plays three minutes that immediately puts their team in a little bit of flux. They don't play a deep, deep bench. Um, especially at the guard slot. But you know what? They're up nine with 13 to go. They're in control. And um, LSU, to their credit, coming off the Auburn game, their first home SEC game, place is full. It's Kentucky. They amped it up. And uh, LSU's defense is as highly rated as it is because it's good. They have great length. They switch a ton. And you know what? They got after them a little bit. Game got crazy. And um, they end up you know, getting that run and taking Kentucky sort of the juice out of them. 
and knocked them on their heels. And you know what? Kentucky would have liked to have Wheeler out there for those last 12 minutes of crunch time because he's the guy who has the ball. But Kentucky's going home mad. You know, they feel like, number one, we weren't strong with the ball. And you know what? We go to the line 20 times and we go 10 for 20 at the line on the road. And, and a lot of the turnovers of their 15 turnovers, again, think about this. LSU stole 11 balls. You're not going to win very many games on the road when that happens. So they're going home and they're saying we competed. We battled like hell. Our defense was good enough to win the game. And at the end of the day, hopefully, if we have to go a longer stretch without Wheeler here, we'll be more prepared because the SEC is going to be like that for those guys every night. Hey, the other thing, Jeff, like I know why you're talking about Kentucky, because we're I think all of us are programmed to see them be the best, you know, and that's a credit to Kentucky and, and Cal and everything they have. But let's let's give LSU some credit now. LSU had a home SEC game. They're one of America's best defensive teams. They've proven that. Eason has been an amazing addition to what they have. They play hard. They're talented. They're athletic. They've won a lot of games. And guess what? Like LSU's trying to win the same SEC championship as Kentucky is. So the fact it was a home game, conference play is about defending your home court. Tonight, LSU did it. And, you know, to the points that you guys made, when you have hey. the injury to your leader, like Wheeler, and you're playing shorthanded on the road in the SEC against yeah. like LSU. Hey, think about this. Up. LSU one week ago got steamrolled at Auburn. Yeah. It's not going to be easy in the SEC. There's some seriously talented teams. And yeah. um, you know what? You're going to have to find a way. If you're going to win on the road in that league, to me, the biggest deal in the, in the SEC is you, you can't turn it over. It seems the teams that are able to turn you over in the SEC, they score at will. People are handing this to Auburn already. They really are already. Auburn was impressive again tonight. I, I get it, but it's still South Carolina. I know it's a road game. I still want to see Auburn on the road against a good team, an NCAA tournament team in league play, and then I'll buy in to Auburn. I know they've got, again, Jabari Smith, you take him number one, Arch. I take him somewhere one, two, or three. It doesn't matter. They've got a very good team. But, again, I just want to see. The thing, the thing about Auburn is they're the, they're the deepest team, and they use them all. You know what I mean? Like they're going to their bench when guys aren't playing well. They're going to their bench on the regular basis, whereas a Kentucky starts to get later into their bench tonight with some guys out in foul trouble. They're not as accustomed to being able to produce. You know, Auburn's getting good point guard play from Wendell Green, transfer from Eastern Kentucky. He had 22 on the road tonight. And I'm telling you, like, they have 9, 10, 11 guys on a given night that, you know, they can have some off nights from their best guys and maybe survive. I think that's maybe why they're they're favored. But uh, the league's good. Yeah. Alabama's good. LSU's good. Kentucky's good. Wide open. To me, I think the SEC is completely wide open at the top. You know, again, Auburn, Kentucky, LSU, Alabama, um, Florida, Tennessee. Tennessee probably good. around there. Florida's good too. They got they got some really good teams in the SEC, and that's why what Sean said, you got to find a way to win your home games. You know, what I mean, that's the whole thing in conference play is being able to hold serve at home. And LSU did it tonight in a raucous environment. I mean, if you watch the game, like if you're just watching it, that was an intense game. Both teams really went after it pretty good in that game. Yeah, I mean, Oscar Sheway plays about as yeah, hard. The other thing the about Auburn, the other thing about Auburn is. They, they can do it with their offense and they can do it with their defense. Yeah. 
you know, and again, you, you, as, as Christmas is gone and you now move towards conference play in, in the month of January, on the road, you're not going to just win one way. There's just going to be those nights when the ball doesn't go in. You know, we talked about it a little bit ago. Having a bad night from the free throw line can sometimes derail you. But how do you still win? You have to be able to have that identity defensively. That's why I love Baylor. But in the SEC, that's why you love a team yeah. like Auburn, because Auburn can do it with their defense. And then the other part about Auburn's defense, their defense generates offense because they're so frenetic and they can steal the ball. In that moment when offensively they're not clicking for whatever reason, they can win it. And by the way, on offense, they're going to have the best player on the court in the deepest team almost every game. Yeah. So you combine both of those and Bruce Pearl as the coach who's been there and done it. Auburn is going to be a hard team to beat. They already have been that, but in conference play, I think we're starting to see them rise. Hey, in the SEC right now, you made a good point, but like LSU is number one on defense overall um, by, by a pretty good margin, but Tennessee's two. Yeah. Auburn's four. Kentucky's 14. That's 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 four of the top 15 defenses, three of them in the top five in their league. That's historically good. That's that's I'm not putting yeah, I'm not putting a lot of stock in this lot. Like again, for Kentucky for me, when you take out your point guard and that's you eventually a tough blow have, for them. You you have to go to your number three point guard in crunch time. Davion Mintz was the guy handling the ball, and yeah. he is not used to that. Like the backup is tie tie. He he's not even used to that. And then you go to your third guy on the road in a hostile environment in a frenetic pace. I, I didn't expect Kentucky to win that game. I was actually pleasantly surprised that they hung with and when LSU went on a little bit of a run there. All right. Uh, Baylor. Jeff, Jeff one last Jay. thing about Kentucky. Yeah. One last thing. They have a way of improving. You know, they already have. If you watch them in November, even some of the best teams, you know, they may win, but not look as good. But as you keep following them, they improve. Kentucky has improved a ton. If you remember who they were in November, and maybe they've played a softer schedule to get there. Since the loss of Notre team. Dame, and I know some of the teams, they've been a drastically different team since they lost to Notre Dame. Yeah, they're but headed. Here's my take, guys. Guys, I get that. But when you're playing some cupcakes, now, again, Western Kentucky is not a cupcake. I'm not saying they are. But when you're not playing other like teams, other tournament caliber teams. How do we know when you blow out Carolina, who's as soft as butter right now, how do we know how good Kentucky really is yet? Well, you're gonna, well, I mean, you're going to find out because the SEC is going to be correct. so good. So they lose a 50-50 game tonight on the road to LSU, who's good. Kentucky's got to be, you know, upset on a few, few angles during the game that they have to be able to get better at. But like, you know, I don't know their schedule offhand. I'm assuming they're coming back on Saturday. Uh, who do they got Saturday? Uh, they got um, – let's see. They go. They, to, they got Georgia at home on Saturday. And then Vandy on the road. They, those should be two wins. I mean, but the bottom line for them is they got to come back, and if they play at home against Georgia and they, they win big, they did their job, you know. I mean, right. eventually – the teams that are able to win the road games are going to separate. That's usually what happens. And Kentucky's good enough right now defensively, and they have Oscar in the middle rebounding. And uh, if Wheeler's healthy, they're good enough defensively to win road games. Yeah. Yeah. Ken All Palm. Right, yeah. Ken Palm. Uh, 
you look at it in November, it, it, it keeps getting more and more accurate. You get into December towards Christmas. I agree. You start getting into January, like I'm just telling you, I looked at that both with who we are getting ready to play. And really, I looked at our own team. And it does, it, it's just, it's just, it's a great indicator of is a team getting better or not? Kentucky, if you look at where they are across the board, both on offense and defense, they are improving. They're they're one of our they're one of the best teams, and and I think that'll prove itself out over the next eight weeks. All right, let's let's move along to a team we we talk about every game, every game they play. We talk about them because they're number one in the country. They're the defending national champs. Uh, they're fun to watch. Scott Drew is fun to root for. I, I gotta say because he's about as dorky of a head coach as there is. But, but that makes him so likable in a way, right? I mean, he's always positive. Don't you guys wish you could be as positive as Scott Drew all the time? It's impossible. Yeah, no, he's, he's, uh, he's got a great way about him. You know, and, and I think the one thing that, that that has done for Scott is it's just it's given him amazing staying power. To be at one place in the Big 12, especially if that place isn't Oklahoma or Kansas or I mean, he's at Baylor to think about where he started, how long he's been there at the yeah. same place in the same conference and, and having maybe his best run at that place in the last three years, his personality, his positivity, yeah. his way, it has really won out. And uh, they are fun to watch, Jeff. Their defense, their defense is phenomenal. Their defense, I mean, they, they do it at all five positions They've done it. You talk about a schedule. They've done it against the best teams, and they they've consistently done it. They they are they are a heck of a team. Well, you guys are all about defense, both of you. Let's face it. You're you're about toughness. You're about defense. Um, and Sean, you said to me, you were like, "All I'm offense so out here." I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> all right, Arch. Fine, Arch is on one side. We'll we'll, we'll give all him the offense around here. We're gonna let Sean run the defense. And Sean says to me, I'm so jealous of Baylor's defense. There's just wow. something about having a group, though, Jeff. Offense is offense. And obviously, you know, that's some, there's something about a group of people during the course of a season who win hard. You know, I mean, they, they do they do this shit every game, every day in practice. And like you watch them get better on defense as they get better on offense. And like when you start to win big and string together, you know, five, six, seven, eight in a row, there's going to be a game where you stink on offense. It just is. And, like, you're going to feel just as good winning that game because you know that, that like, you know, you're about the right things. You know, part, part of, like, winning is being able to do it a certain way, the way that you as a coach believe. But, like, you know deep down inside to win big, you have to be able to stop people. You know, you just and, do. And, Jeff, let me say it to you this way, Okay. Larry Brown told me this one time. I've never seen a team at any level, USA basketball, NBA college, that was selfish and yet they were terrific on defense. Right. You, yep. you cannot be selfish and be connected together, hard playing, all the things that you associate with a team that, which you would say, they are an elite defensive team. When you're an elite defensive team, selfish isn't a part of it. So then when you flip it and think about offense, that's going to be a team that's going to play together and care about winning on offense too. 
And I, I think it's a great way of looking at it. The buy-in that Baylor has on that side of the ball defensively allows them to just in, just almost transition to being also a very good offensive team, which they are. They can do both. But uh, I thought tonight they'd be obviously a well-coached, tough team in Oklahoma. I watched that game from start to finish. But so I what thought, is it about their defense, Sean? What is it about their defense that you are so envious of? They don't have a weak link. If, if you listen to James talk earlier, they take great pride in that I have an individual matchup tonight and I'm going to do a great job defending my man. I'm not going to get beat. And yet they also have a great team, team approach behind that. You know, sometimes if you're so much about the individual shutting the man down, my man's not going to score. That doesn't always translate to being a successful defensive team. But what I used to always say to our guys is the toughness is created on the ball. The success is going to be created off the ball. But you can't have one without the other. You know, it's it's like both. And what I'm envious about or what I would just give great credit towards Baylor, they really have both. When you think of the toughness that they have at all five positions on the ball, like when Arch and I talked about them playing Villanova, Villanova uses their five man and their front court players to drive the ball. It didn't matter. They couldn't beat Baylor's individual defenders yet. The second phase, Jeff, off ball, making you successful. They're in great position. They rotate, they block shots. They they draw charges. They help each other. When you switch, when you watch them switch, they communicate effectively so they can switch. So it's not just on the ball, it's off the ball. And then, by the way, they have great talent. I mean, back when we were at Arizona, a great defensive team, we had T.J. McConnell, Nick Johnson, Hollis Jefferson, Aaron Gordon, Caleb Tarzuski, Brandon Ashley. Like, as much as you say, boy, coach, you're doing a great job, right? You know, you drive home at night saying, I can coach defense. Well, we had, we had unbelievable personnel to defend. Then you get them to buy in. Baylor has unbelievable personnel to defend and he has great buy-in. You know, they, the word culture keeps popping up. Baylor's culture starts, I believe, with the pride that they have on defense. Well, one of the guys that certainly brings in the defensive end, uh, James Akinjo, point guard, he had 27 points, five assists tonight. The former Arizona point guard, surprised by Sean Miller earlier today and uh, we are now joined by James Akinja. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to be looking at me, did you? I did not. He said I would like the room. I was like, Mom, why would I like you? What's up? What's going on? <laughs> Hey, man, I watched you play tonight. Congrats. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. You know, uh, we always used to talk about having fun playing. You know, you're going to be at your best. Looks like you're having a great time playing out there. Yeah, definitely. I'm having a lot of fun. Appreciate you. How you doing? How are you? I'm doing great, man. I, I really am. It's uh, it's fun watching a lot of games. And, uh, you know, I, I watch. I talk to Coach Drew every once in a while. But I I try not to miss a Baylor game. I love, I love watching you guys play. But. You know, James, I mean, obviously we're doing a, a Zoom right now, but just look at it more like a conversation. 
I love watching you on defense, you guys on defense. Tell me, tell me like, how do, how do you, how do you guys become the defensive team? And then you've only been there for a short period of time. Like talk to me about defense at Baylor, because I, I feel like, and you are right now, you're the best in the country. Yeah. Uh, defense on Baylor is something that uh, we emphasize coming in. It's the, it's the most important thing. And we know that uh, our offense is going to come from our defense. I think it start with, you know, uh, you used to say to a man. And I think each of us, we all take personal matches really seriously. You know, we do a lot of one-on-ones in the summer and stuff like that. So I think it start with us all taking pride in our matchups. Uh, we don't want to have to force anybody to help. Uh, we got a saying, no, no, no screen, no scheme. So I think it start with that and uh, us just working hard and being connected. Uh, we got a few older dudes on this team. So us talking and just buying into uh, our defensive scheme and being connected, that's really it. Yeah. You remember we used to always talk, James, I don't care what defense you play in college. If your team's a great defensive team, it starts yeah. like the guards are the head of the snake. Definitely, definitely. And I'm oh, trying and, to take a lot of pride in that, yeah. And that's what I love about watching you guys. And, you know, as a backcourt, you do it. But it's great to see you taking the pride because pride in that, because I believe this, you're going to get where you want to get. And I know your goals. But the reason people are going to sign up and make it happen for you is because they're going to value you on both sides. You know, I don't know if you hear it, but more people compare you to Kyle Lowry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes on. You, I like that. I feel Nova, he was an animal. Uh, he was a dog. He played with, uh, I think, Corey Fisher and uh, Randy Fool. I used to watch them a lot. My dad used to make me watch them, but I like that. Yeah. He's a tough dude. Fred Van Vliet and, and Kyle Lowry are two guys that, to me, you got a lot of those guys in you. And obviously that's a high, high compliment, but, but I just, I love the way you've embraced coach Drew's defensive system. And, you know, for somebody who wasn't there a year ago, I think it says a lot about you, your character, your work ethic, your love of the game about how you've bought in and how you've really represented that head of the snake, you know, because yeah. uh, look, like you said, if, your defense is only as good as that ball pressure and guards. Exactly. But, exactly. So let's go to the next phase, offense, right? I, I I always describe you like this. If he makes one three, look out. He may not miss for four or five games. Yeah. And, and right now, you're in that rhythm. You know, I can see it, uh, especially when you're shooting off the dribble from three, which I think that's that's your best, which makes you a unique player because a lot of guys can only shoot threes, catch and shoot. I almost feel like you're more comfortable when you shoot off the dribble. But uh, are you? Have you found your rhythm shooting the three? Definitely, I think I'm in a groove. Uh, I think I'm. I'm definitely. Uh, me and Coach Jew are just growing every day, every practice, every game. I think I'm beginning to uh, find my niche here, and we begin to our relationship is growing. Uh, the, the point guard coach relationship. I think he's starting to trust me a lot more. I think I'm starting to uh, understand what he wants from me as a point guard and you know I'm just I'm just comfortable now so I think yeah. that you're seeing uh, I think a point guard is always going to play well when he's comfortable and uh, given freedom to go out there and kind of you know just play basketball so I think me making shots is just a result of you know my comfort level uh, my team yeah. they do a great job of finding me too they see how hard I work and they, they know I can shoot the ball and know I can score the ball so you know they, they do a great job of just giving me confidence and making sure that I stay aggressive
All right, that was Baylor point guard James Akinjo, a guy uh, near and dear to the heart of our own Sean Miller. Um, I, I know, Sean, you get mad. You, you get mad when you hear people saying negative things about James Akinjo, don't you? I, I do, just because they're unfounded. Um, you know, when you hear the word selfish or malcontent or somebody doesn't get along, and, and it's not like at this point, especially everybody says that, but every once in a while, you, you get that sense. That's, that's not true. It's not, uh, Jeff, a lot of players think they work hard. I said it uh, during the interview with James. I haven't been around anybody who's spent more time in the gym that I've coached than James. That's I mean, crazy. late at night, early in the morning, he doesn't have a lot of other interests. I mean, he is driven and he wants to become an NBA player and he's put he puts in the work second part of it is he practices really hard like Arch will tell you the guys that give extra and they practice every day hard and compete I mean you can't have enough of those types of players and that's that's who James is and he's developed into an excellent point guard and I'm really glad he's playing at Baylor for Scott Drew because I think he will eventually get the credit that he that he deserves. And when you think of those small, tough guards, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, I could see James following that path. Yeah, Lowry is a great comp. Fran Fraschilla said it on the air the other night, and I retweeted that. I thought it was a great comp because well, I yeah. saw Kyle Lowry a lot at, in, in college, in high school, and, and he's got that same toughness, the same body build. He, he doesn't blow you away physically with some of the things he does athletically or his quickness, but he just finds a way to get it done. Arch, I, I think to me, he's the best point guard in America right now in a year in which I'm telling you, this is the weakest point guard crop I have ever seen since I've been covering college basketball. And I think that's really going to help Scott Drew and Baylor. When you have a guy you can rely on, you guys know this, Arch, you didn't, I hate to say it, but it's true. You didn't really have that guy in Indiana that you could rely on. I'm sorry, but but it is true. Um, when you have one, it's so different. And Sean, you can both speak to that. It, I mean, I think every every coach can, every coach can speak to it. Jeff, you know, Sean being from Z assistant to Xavier to up to myself. I mean, you know, when I first got to Dayton, Kevin Dillard was my point guard for two years, and then Scoochie Smith was my point guard. You know, so basically for a six year run, I had a first or second team all conference point guard. You know, that that's something that you you don't take for granted. But there's a lot of things that go on in the game as a coach that you you look at and you say, man, you know, I wish we had this guy. He, he did that every time, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think like this year in college basketball, one of the great separators is going to be a guy like James who can not only lead a great team, but he can be a clutch moment guy, not afraid to take big shots, um, handling the ball under pressure. He's not afraid. And like, you know, the bottom line is he's the best player or the most valuable player right now on Baylor's team. Without James, they're not number one in the country. No chance. That's, I mean, all you had to do is watch them go into Hilton Coliseum over the weekend and play Iowa State. James was the best player in that game you know, especially in the first half. And right now, I think he's he's added an element of, you know, people are kind of taking for granted of how hard it is to transfer, 
have one year to, to learn, come in after a national championship when the three players that they lost were three terrific perimeter players, lottery picks. And you know what? They haven't missed a beat. And to me, the reason they really haven't missed a beat is they got a lot of great stuff going on, but they were able to bring in a guy who's arguably doing as good of a job statistically as any of the guys that they had last year. Now, he may not be them, but statistically he's doing as well as the guys they had on the floor a year ago. Jeff, I, Arch, I want to make this point, okay? Yeah. If you really look at the Final Four and you look at the national championship teams, especially in the last 10 years, in some cases even beyond that, 20 it years, doesn't yeah. just require one point guard. Right. Two. It requires two. Yep. Two point guards. Yeah. I'll never forget when we played Ohio State when I was the head coach at Xavier and everybody was fixated on Michael Conley Jr. But back then, Michael was a, he was a freshman. And he became the great point guard that we all thought he would become. But he emerged as that year went on. But he played alongside Jamar Butler. Yeah. It was Jamar Butler plus Michael Conley Jr. that made Ohio State that year so good. And we could start off the top of our head even going. When I watched Gonzaga over the last six, seven years, their rise, even beyond what they once were. Yeah. And you start to really study them. Last year, for example, they didn't have just one point guard or one great point guard on the court. They had two. And some of the teams I go back at Arizona, we had TJ McConnell, who's the consummate point guard. But Nick Johnson was alongside of him and he was a combo guard. And and that feeling of having not just one point guard, you have two, which brings me to my other point about Baylor, Flagler. When you think about He's their leading scorer. He's more of a scorer. Those two guys had 49 combined tonight. Right. So when you go backcourt and even Duke, you know, during Duke's glory days. Hey, when Duke had Duhon and Jay Williams at the same time. When Jay Williams and Duhon were out there together, it wasn't fun for anybody. Carolina under Coach Williams, when they won a national championship, it's like, think about the team that they put out there. It wasn't just one point guard. It was two. How about Villanova? When Jalen Brunson was a freshman, he was a small piece to a bigger puzzle, but he wasn't the only point guard out there. And I think as we study teams that are built to go a long distance this year, that's something to keep in mind. And again, back to Baylor, why they're number one, and I think why they're so difficult to beat, they also have that component. And I think your point, though, in college basketball, Jeff, at the end of the day, when it gets to like February and March, who has a chance to make the run? You're right. There aren't a whole lot of lottery pick or elite point guards, but I will tell you, there's some teams with some really good ones that are going to come out of nowhere because they have them, you know, and I keep going back to Auburn. Their point guard play right now is very underrated, is very underrated. What Wendell Green is doing for those guys, uh, and they got an immensely talented team. They they have Set Wendell Jasper Green. and the other one. They've, they've got, they've two got two guys who really transferred good ones. up. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, guys. They got two that transferred up, and they've worked out. Michigan got one from Coastal Carolina, Devontae Jones, and he hasn't been as good. He's struggled, right? Part of the reason he struggled is because he doesn't have a ton around him. Last year, Mike Smith came from the Ivy League. Well, he had dudes around him. Right now, Devontae Jones, well, what does he have? He has Hunter Dickinson and a bunch of freshmen and role players. And, and tonight, Michigan went into the rack, and they were beat from start to finish. They were never really in the game. And it's not surprising. And, 
And that's a that's not surprising, but that's a credit to Pico and Rutgers. Yeah, I just yes, know. it is. It is. But this Rutgers team has been very up and down this year. People have Michigan ranked in the top. Shoot, I think I some people at the beginning the though, game. Jeff. They're a completely, they're a completely different team. Yeah, no, no doubt. They absolutely were. Um, this, this is certainly, hold on, we got some technical difficulties here. Technical difficulty. A little bit. All right. We'll, we'll get the technical. All right, here we go. We got the technical. But, but Michigan is a completely different team and Juwan and his staff are having to coach a combination of new young for the first time in a while. There's a lot of young guys involved. They dealt with COVID tonight. They barely played their bench. They played about six and a half guys. I mean, Terrence Williams, I don't even think was in the box score, but Michigan yeah. didn't have their full roster tonight. But, the, you know, Rutgers, you got Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker, who are Warriors. They've been through now four years of Big Ten slugfest. And you know what? Ron Harper goes five for six from three, gets 20, and Geo Baker gets 27, and they're both seniors at home. They won yeah. the game, you know what I mean? And they yeah. played against the Michigan team. It's they're going to have Purdue at home. They beat Purdue at home. Right. Yeah. No, they're tough for the rack. Yeah. They're really tough. For sure. And Ron Harper, Rack's when tough. he makes shots, they're a different team. When Ron Harper makes shots. And they made, a, I think they made 11 threes, but that's been Rutgers' problem this year. They've struggled right. to shoot the ball. And Geo's been hurt. Uh, but I'm telling you right now, I mean, you could count on two hands game winners that Geo Baker's won over the last two and a half years by himself. But you know, you got two guys that are seniors that go for 47. It's the first time they beat Michigan in 87 years. Wow. Wow. I mean, you got to give – I mean, I think at the end of Say the that day – Say that again. That's the first time that Rutgers has beat Michigan in 87 years. <laughs> that's are you sure stuff. about that? I think so. The only so. thing that I've heard more insane <laughs> is when Arizona State couldn't turn the lights on to play a game a couple weeks ago. Facts. Fact. James James Akinja used to say it all the time. You'd say something, yeah. say, Coach, facts. facts. Yeah, I think that is, I think that is, I think that's accurate. But Michigan seven years are you sure go through some hard nights. <laughs> hey, Michigan's gonna go through some hard nights on the road this year. They are. Right. Gonna... Hey, can I can I say something about Juwan Howard? Everybody was ready to put him in the Hall of Fame. All right. And and I know you guys are in the coaching fraternity, so I'm not expecting you to, to jump on this. Uh in, in fact, you'll probably defend Juwan Howard, which is fine. First year, 19 and 12, 10 and 10 in, in Big Ten play. He inherited uh, Xavier Simpson and John Teske from a really good John Beeline squad. Last year, he was phenomenal, phenomenal. Elite eight. Yeah, they win the Big Ten. It's questionable with obviously Illinois and, and Michigan, but whatever. He was awesome. This year, they're seven and six. They're an NIT team. I'm in the process, guys, of going through, believe it or not, every single coach right now, college coach, who's played at least 200 NBA games. Okay. How about that? I've got through this about 50 of them. I mean, I got everybody, everybody in here, you name it, uh, you know, in here, whether it's Clyde Drexler, Isaiah Thomas, Corliss Williamson, um, you know, the guys that are current, uh, Juan Dixon, Stackhouse, Reggie Theus, Mark Madsen, you name it. The only one, the only one guys, you could potentially give a, a grade of an A to, and it'd be like an A minus B plus is Juwan Howard. 
I'm telling you, there's not one other coach. Tony Bennett did not play 200 NBA games, in case you're wondering. Okay? There's not one other coach who played 200 NBA games who would warrant anything close to an A. Is that amazing? Yeah, we talk about it all the times, but the two different sports. Yeah. NBA basketball, college basketball, two different sports, two different worlds to live in. Yeah. But, you know, Ju- Juwan's – I've seen Juwan up close, personal, dealt with Juwan. Um, he's about as, as big time of a person as you can get. And um, yes. he's, 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 he did an unbelievable job with last year's team. They were good enough to win it. I said if Isaiah Livers did, didn't get hurt, I think they would have been in the Final Four. This year's team, they got a lot of new faces in any coach doesn't matter when there's mass turnover, there's an influx of young people, um, it's hard. And when you get into the thick of the big 10, that's when it gets really hard. Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say too, with, with all those young guys this year, and I've said this before, you guys did not get a chance to go out in person and see this class when they were juniors after their junior year in high school. That is a big difference. You're watching them on tape. You're watching them on streams, and there are mistakes. There are going to be more mistakes made this year than probably ever. And I'm not calling these guys mistakes. All I'm saying is, is Caleb Houston as good as maybe we thought he was? Is Bufkin as good as maybe his ranking and, and the expectations that people put on this group, this freshman group, might have been a little unfair? Hey, Jeff Still, though, here's the one point that I would make about, about Juwan and Michigan is – in college basketball, it's still about experience too. It's talent plus experience. Now, experience could come in a lot of different forms today. You could take somebody like James Akinjo, who is in his fourth year and who's been around. And although he's new, he, he gives you even more experience. He just didn't get the Baylor experience from day one. But again, let's stay on Baylor because they're America's number one team. Matthew Mayer, like we played Baylor what seems like six years ago at home and then at Baylor. He was in the game. I mean, you forget right now he's a big piece to their puzzle. And when you're dependent on incoming freshmen and just incoming freshmen, it's amazing how difficult it is to win. I'll use Arizona as the example and take me out of it. I know I was the coach. But playing against Ben Matherin and Azulis Tabellis, Kirk Creesa this year, then dealing with them, especially if you played us in November or December non-conference last year, to your point about COVID, they were only in the United States of America for about nine weeks at that point. Forget going to school. They never went to a class. They were in their room on Zoom. Getting to know your teammates, you weren't allowed. We just crossed our fingers that they would get up in the morning and get COVID tested. So it takes time. When this group of young people enters Michigan or a program like Michigan, what's going to give them the best chance is when they're surrounded by experienced players as well. Then it's like some of Baylor's freshmen right now, as talented as they are, if they were only relying on their performance every game, Baylor would have lost at least a game or two. But they can afford to have miscues and don't have to be on it every game because Baylor's freshmen are surrounded by experienced, good players as well. And I think as you look at Michigan, as it moves, especially through this year and the next year, 
But I think you have a better fair assessment when you see some of their younger players growing older, being complemented by more, more freshmen down the road. But it's talent plus experience. The best teams right now, look at Villanova. It's, it's yep. experience even more than talent, right? Then you combine. Well, that's both. when Notre Dame was good, right? Notre Dame, when they were good, what were they? They were older. They had enough talent. You know, Pat Connaughton, Bonzi Colson, some of those guys, but they were always, always older. Drew Timmy played in the Kale Center three years ago against the team with Zeke Naji and Nico Mannion and Josh Green. It was a great game. They beat us. I didn't even know Drew Timmy checked in the game. <laughs> he was he was just a young guy in the month of yeah. December, finding his way, learning the system. But later in that year, you saw it. Now look at him today. It's a big difference between a year ago, sophomore, and then junior year. When these guys grow inside of a program, that's when you really can, I think, hold the coach accountable. I mean, now it's not only do you have young talent coming in, but you've had the opportunity to develop them and add more parts. But with COVID, that's even harder to, to really uh, talk about because some of the things that, that were in place before COVID, as a coach, you can't even build, like you said, evaluate and do things in a proper way simply because we weren't allowed. So Juwan Howard was, again, for me, the best former NBA player, certainly who made, you know, a hundred million, uh, who's now doing well in college. Uh, there weren't many of them. How about Lorenzo uh, Romar? R Romar made the list. I forgot about Romar, but he did play over 200 NBA games. He made the oh, list. I can't forget then, about then you, then he you won, won the Pac-10. He won the Pac-12. I mean, the guy was in the Pac-12 for 15 years. I am going to correct you and tell you that on that list, yes. Lorenzo Romar is number one. No, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. I mean, I mean he's got a he's got like a 25-year head coaching career. And the first part of his Washington tenure was yeah, awesome. the they were outstanding. It was awesome. Yeah. Yes. The the second half when you were in the Pac 12, Sean, they, they they didn't defend quite the way they had. They didn't play with a they they weren't quite as good, but he went to six tournaments in 15 years at Washington, which is actually impressive. Yeah. Was yep. good at St. Louis. Was yep. solid at Pepperdine in, in both of his stints. Now I, I gave him a B plus. Um, B plus. Come on, I Jeff. Plus. <laughs> I gave him a B yeah. plus. The finest person that I've ever been around. The best. Had the number. I mean, you yes. talk about how many games did Billy D play? Uh, only he player. only played one year in the NBA. He only played one one year for the Knicks for about fifty games. He doesn't count. He went, he went to the higher ground. He's not there yet. <laughs> Steve Alford didn't qualify. Mark Pope didn't qualify. Um, those are a few. Tony Bennett played 152 NBA games. So yeah. I'm not counting him because he didn't, to me, I kind of wanted to limit it to the guys that really made bank in the NBA. And it, they didn't have to win. When they came to college, it wasn't going to define them. And it wasn't going to like, they weren't fighting for their life and their, their livelihood, I guess. It, I'll tell you another, another guy, and, and I don't know if he'll come back to college, but I think he did a very good job is Damon Stoudemire. Yes. And obviously I know Damon, he worked on our staff at Arizona and he's with the Boston Celtics. But I think Damon, like Lorenzo, is one of those guys that if he wants to come back to college and gets a good opportunity, uh, I think he could do extremely well. What about um, what about the other coach K? Yeah, he's up there. I gave him a B. He was real. He was good at Utah. 
you know, very yeah, good Coach early. K, Coach K at Utah was pretty good. Coach K at Montana was was really good. Two, him, two years, two NCAA He played a lot of games. Doesn't it doesn't surprise me that you're sleeping on Romar. And, I'm not and sleeping on him. Because they're it's both from the Pac-10 and Pac-12. Coach K at Utah. <laughs> Coach K at Utah and Lorenzo Romar. You forgot about Damon Stoudemire. Three Pac-10. No, I got him. He's up there. I mean, and by the way, Jason Terry, I put him in there as well. JT's a G League coach right now. I'm, He's not a college coach, John. We're right. talking about okay. college coaches. But I'm telling you, those three guys. You know the worst tire? Can I give you the worst The worst tire? And again, you guys don't have to react at all. But the worst tire of any former NBA guy in college, Mike Dunleavy Sr. at Tulane was atrocious. Atrocious. <laughs> Absolutely atrocious. And Jerry Stackhouse has a Although, hey, congrats to Jerry Stackhouse. Big win over an Arkansas team that has done absolutely nothing. Those fans wanted me to rank Arkansas as recently as three weeks ago. Now you may be looking at the CBI Razorback fans. Anyway, all right, let's let's move on. We were talking yeah. about Juwan Howard and how good a coach he is. Who's the best X's and O's coach in the game right now? Sean, we'll start with you. Who, who's the guy you don't want to see with equal talent across the, the other sideline? Well, I would preface my comment or my selection just on this, Jeff. It's a very difficult question because there are so many good coaches. Yep. There are so many good coaches that aren't blessed with the talent, but if you just look at them as tacticians or on game day, you're envious at how well their teams execute and play. You know, Bob McKillop comes to mind. When you watch a Davidson team play, they're so arches. That was arches. You can't steal his pick. See, I we don't we don't always talk about these things, so I didn't know that. But but look, <laughs> I'm gonna give you my pick. All right, and I'm gonna All go right. with the two-headed monster because I, I can't really I can't really pick one of these guys over the other. But in today's world, winning, coaching, I mean total package. Scott Drew and Bill Self are 1A and 1B. And I would also say you have to consider the league that both of them make their living in. When you consider how tough the Big 12 has been the last couple of years and how well their teams have performed and not always under great conditions. You know, it's not as easy to attract great talent to Waco, Texas, and Baylor as it is North Carolina and Chapel Hill. And because Bill Self with all that their program has been under, to watch him do it in spite of that, to watch him do it time and time again. And if you look at both of those coaches, what I love about both of them, as much as you fall in love with who they are on defense, well, then you can also fall in love with how they coach the game on offense. They do it both on offense and defense. And I would also say it's easy to talk about those two coaches right now because I think both of their teams are really good. It'll be interesting to see who will win the Big 12 this year? Would it be Kansas or Baylor? And uh, I think it'll come down to those two. It's amazing to me, Arch, that we're saying uh, that about Scott True now because you guys know, both of you know, you've been around long enough, 10, 15 years ago. He was kind of a laughing stock within the industry to some degree. He really was. The word, it was always he can't coach. I kept hearing that. And you know, you wonder, I've talked to him about this, how much it, it, it affected him. But I would always see him march at AU events 
the one thing he'd be doing, whoever he was sitting next to, and I don't know if he ever did this with either one of you, he would be picking their brain about something, constantly trying to learn while trying to, again, watch high school players. Yeah, you he know, he deserves credit. I mean, he just, he is a phenomenal yeah. basketball coach. Phenomenal. First, my first encounter with him was in 2014 or 13, 14 in Maui. And we had a really good team that year in Maui. And we played uh, his team in the second round of Maui to go to the championship. And he had uh, on that team, uh, Gary Franklin Jr. He had uh, Isaiah Austin. He had Rico Gathers. Um he, he had a, he had a talented big, I mean, it was just like a, you know, the layup line was, was scary, but I remember talking to him and he, I remember him saying how important the games in Maui were to his team before they got started, because they really needed to prove that they were tough enough, you know, that they were, they were good enough to be a tournament team. You know, I remember him talking about that team and now thinking where he's at right now, in the way that we talk about, I mean, you're talking about that quest to get better and try to continue to prove, prove yourself that, that, that you're, you're, you're a program that belongs. He was on that quest, you know, for a long time, but I remember the team that he had when we played him there and uh, the talent, and it was just like, you know, he, they were trying to prove themselves. And I think they've gotten to a point now, obviously, where there's none better right now at what they're doing. Hey, look, Ooh, Bill Self, let me just say Bill Self, yeah. among, He's the ridiculous. Accomplishments, among the great accomplishments in college basketball coaching is the fact that they won 12 Big 12 championships in a row. So let's think about this. On one hand, you're talking about how difficult, deep, and talented the Big 12 is and has been for some time. And then simultaneously with that, you're saying, and by the way, Kansas has won it 12 years in a row. Crazy. I don't think I need to say his, anything. It, what he's done is, in, is incredible. His home winning percentage over his head coaching career at Kansas, and I'm sure if you back it up to, you know, Illinois and Tulsa, it's, but his home winning percentage at Kansas over 18 years is damn near 90%. Yeah. I mean, at one point he had more big 12 titles than he had losses at Fog Allen. I mean, it's just like a dominance that like you've never seen. I, I Jeff, the like other part about himself. Scott Drew, the other yeah. part about Scott Drew, is what Arch just said, he doesn't have the advantages of home court. Even in tonight's game, if you watch Baylor, when you played them a couple of years ago, their football team had a Big 12 championship and it was in the way of the game. And we moved the game time up so that more people could come to our game. But it, Arizona at Baylor, and they that was that was like the year before. I mean, they were great. They had a really good team. I mean – it, it, it wasn't a great crowd tonight. They're the defending national champions. They're playing Oklahoma. They're number one in the country. So just think about how well he's done there. Yeah, without the, the, the built-in advantages. Yeah, and then, on the other hand, Kansas has that advantage. Right. Baylor doesn't, and that's why that's yeah. why I chose those those two coaches. There's there's so many other great coaches. I mean, you could just snap your fingers. Chris Beard. Once he gets both feet on the ground at Texas, I mean, they're good this year, but they could become unstoppable. But based on the last three years, I'm going with Bill Self and uh, Scott Drew. Who, who else are you going with, Art? Scott Drew and who else? Scott Drew's great. But I'm just going to go with two guys that I've, I've went up against face-to-face -face and actually have had to deal with them on game day and preparation. And 
First, I would say that Coach Beeline, if you've ever had to prepare for his team or play against his teams, there's probably not, not very many guys from an X and O standpoint that knows how to operate offensively in terms of, of dictating a game, tempo, game-winning plays, uh, be able to manipulate the game with his offense as Coach Beeline. Now, obviously, he's not in college basketball right now, but he's one of the best that I've ever seen. But, you know, one, Purdue is doing so well. But I think if you go back to Matt's tenure at Purdue, 18 years, I was an assistant for Thad at Ohio State in 2007, eight. Matt was with the baby boilers. You know, at that time it was Robbie and those guys were freshmen and sophomores. And he's pretty much stayed with it the whole time. And the one thing about him from an execution standpoint, from a belief in how they play, he hasn't really deviated from, you know, the old school Purdue coach Katie, but I think what he's done and he's really morphed into an unbelievable set play program. You know, they, they operate from a play playbook, you know, and how you play and who's on your team guarding their players. That's how they call the game, you know, and they go at your worst defenders. They know how you play certain actions and whatnot, and they run the hell out of it. And, and he's a big believer right now, I think, in having, the biggest human being you could possibly get with the most skilled players around them. And he knows exactly how to operate like that. And they've been as good as there is in terms of execution. And then I think Bob McKillop, you know, being at Davidson for as long as he's been, um, he hasn't changed much either in terms of his philosophy. And I think he has it down, but they're as hard to guard as any team that you'll uh, go up against. And it's an awkward way of playing now but it probably wasn't 10 15 years ago but the pace that they play at and the motion and the offensive concepts that they run are really hard to guard and I think if you're a guard in general from Steph Curry to Jason Richards to Jack Gibbs to Kellen Grady if you're a point guard or a skilled guard who can shoot you're going to have one hell of a career at, at Davidson playing for him it is an unbelievable way to play as a perimeter player especially a point guard or a two guard or a guy who can really shoot the ball. Is that Sean, it? How many, how many guys did he mention? He mentioned four. I only mentioned two. I mean, you talk about a member of the coaching fraternity. What about Nico Medved? About two? What about Nico Medved? Let's get the Colorado State. They, they, they won tonight. They won tonight. You guys. Give Nico how about That's Gino Ariema? Have you gone to the women's women's I'm scared game? of him. I'm scared <laughs> of him. He may, he, may get, he may get after me. Are, are, are you two of the proponents of, of expanding the tournament too? I think every coach, former, current, whatever, wants to expand to like 128 teams. I've never really thought about it. I mean, to be honest with you, I, mean, I think the tournament is the tournament. It's great the way it is. Yeah, I love it the way it is. Yeah. I, would, I just wish that when they pick the first four in Dayton, <laughs> that they don't always pick two Pac-12 teams. Well, that's because I mean, the Pac-12 stinks. Could they mix it up just a little bit? Like, you can't have a first four, and it's really just the first two plus the Pac-12. I mean, John, last year – you should be happy. If, if the Pac-12 gets somebody – if, if they get somebody in the first four this year, that means they're going to get four teams in the tournament. That's okay. a win. I get it. I'm not talking about this year, but they yeah. put Mick – and UCLA in the first four last year. I mean, it worked out. Enough, it worked out. You're right. Enough is enough. And it, and I would say this: if I get seven, if I get seven coaches like Arch just did to just talk <laughs> about guys that are best, it's. I feel bad for UCLA right now because think about this: now they've been on a pause for what yeah. twenty days. 
It's been bad. Yeah. I mean, they had to sell, they had to go the three days mandatory over Christmas. They all got sick weeks before Christmas. Now they're coming out after Christmas and Arizona state's game got canceled. Like they have a really good team and Mick coming from UC where he went to 13 consecutive NCAA tournaments and then just watching him and he kicked my ass at, at Arizona bang, bang and back to back years. But he's a one heck of a coach and UCLA has a chance to win it all. I just, I worry for them of, you know, at what point do they get their rhythm back? When do they play a game? I mean, what will they look like when they play a game? I mean, it's been a long time since these guys have played. It's it's so cute. It's so cute to hear you saying so many nice things about Mick Crone. I I never thought that day would come when you got, you know, Xavier and we've come a long way. I wish Douster was on this spot uh, on this deal tonight because Sean inevitably works, works in this PAC 12 angle every time, every Every time. time. The whole league doesn't play. They're not even allowed to play. Right. So there's no No, reason to even talk about them. What I'm not going to bring up tonight. What I'm not going to bring up tonight is they're going to get three teams in the tournament, but Jeff, you don't want to see those three teams in your bracket. They can all go deep. But there's, <laughs> no played anybody yet. there's no chance for a four. At least he's now CBS. cut it to just three. Right, right, right. And those three are the greatest three teams in the history those three of college are gonna, basketball. They're good. hard to deal with. They're good. If LA County lets USC and UCLA play again, I'm confident they're going to be a tough out in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> hey, before we go, do we want to have a moment of silence for Big Ben for you guys? That was unbelievable last night, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you this. That was incredible. I watched it. I cried when I watched it. It was one of the most moving moments. I mean, I became the head coach at Xavier when Ben became the quarterback of the Steelers. And Jeff, I'm not proud to say it, but he outlasted me. <laughs> he outlasted me. Yes, he did. Yes, he That's did. one heck of a thing for an NFL quarterback and a coach. Like I'll he got to 18 coach. years and I tapped out at 17 years. But I followed that up with the John Madden documentary. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care if you like basketball, football, whatever, but if you are a person, sports person, you have to watch that documentary. It is so unbelievable. There's so much uh, just about, you know, being a good guy and uh, John Madden. I mean, just, and they had 38 interviews that they tried to get, you know, this Jeff, cause you're in that world. He went 38 for 38. Not one guy turned down and said, Hey, I can't do it or whatever. 38, including Lawrence Taylor. And I would say Lawrence Taylor, it was like a tribute to him. It was great. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait. Can't wait to watch. If you want to get away from college basketball, uh, two great stories. I'm not sure which is better. All right. There you have it. Big Ben, John Madden, uh, Sean, Arch. Thanks for joining us tonight. Field the 68 after dark tomorrow night. We'll be back again, 11 o'clock. We got John Fanna, your guy's boy, Sean Paul, Steve Prohm. So make sure you join us again. Field the 68 after dark.